0: Good morning, Cross Point. Good, Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. So, children, you can be released. You will see Miss Jenny in the back with the flag. She will take you to the classroom. And for the rest, I do want to begin with an exciting announcement. Some of you guys probably know what this announcement is, but God has grown our church family by two people in this last week. The first was God blessed our daughter, Eleanor, and her husband, Emmanuel, with a baby girl, Evelyn May Sanan. This is also the first child that has made my wife, Anana, and me a pop-pop. So I am extremely excited. It has been a good week. In addition to that, my daughter was a few days late. Another young lady, Ryan, and her husband, Felipe, also were blessed with a daughter who they've named Rory Felipe Lopez. Felicity, I said Felipe twice, didn't I? Her picture's up there as well, and that was on the exact same day. So thank you guys so much for praying for them. I know many are going to be taking meals to these two families throughout the week, so thank you so much and for celebrating this together with us. So today, we are continuing in our series that we've entitled, Are We There Yet? This idea of traveling together on the journey of discipleship. Like, what does it look like when we get there? How are we going to get there? What does it look like to travel this road together and and we've talked about our mission statement embodying that and what that means of what motivates us what compels us as a church family is the gospel of Jesus Christ it is his good news this is what compels us drives us um, the fuel within us that leads us it is his good news creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and this leads us then to walk in obedience to what he's commanded us, becoming disciples who make disciples. We've defined what discipleship is, what that means when we talk about what does it mean disciple. Today, we're going to be looking at particularly that phrase becoming disciples. What do we need to pack, if you will, on the journey of discipleship? Like, here's the idea what I want you to think of. If you knew that the end of this week, you're going to leave for a three-month vacation through Europe, how many people would make a packing list? Right? How many is just going to wing it? <laughs> There's some who's doing that too. Like, some of what we'll make, I'm the list person. Like for a trip like this, like you make a list and you think through because you don't want to forget what's important. Like you don't want to be stuck somewhere and then not have a change of underwear or, or a toothbrush to brush your teeth. Like there are certain essentials you want to make sure you have packed for the journey. But the journey of a disciple, I, I want us to think about what would you pack because the same thing is true on that. Like, there's a couple truths when I think about discipleship and what that means. One is that discipleship is a lifelong process, right? Like, it begins at the moment of surrendered belief on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's not, you don't arrive until Christ returns or we die and we stand face to face with the living King in his presence for all eternity. Right? Discipleship is that entire journey. It's not a class that we graduate from and then we say, I've been discipled, now I'm done. It is ongoing. It is so much more than just a three month vacation that we're packing for. It is describing our entire life. And so, what resource, where do we, what does that mean then to become disciples? Another truth is that discipleship, and this is part of what I talked about last week, begins with an inward transformation before it produces an outward obedience, right? Discipleship, it transforms us, it renews us, it changes us, and through that then, it produces a response of obedience. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Like last week, we looked at the definition of a disciple. You'll see the hexagon drawn up there on the screen of how I visually remind myself of what is the definition. Someone who worships Jesus. Ongoing surrender with obedience to God in everyday life by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what a disciple is but then when we look, what does that mean to become disciples? This is where inside of that hexagon, I would draw a triangle. I've sat down with numerous people, and this is what I would draw on a napkin, walking them through. What, what does the mission of Crosspoint mean? How are we living this out? It begins with that inward transformation. And we're going to talk through today, what does that mean? What does that mean to become? Aren't we already disciples? Yes. So what does it mean then to that process of becoming? So I want to open in prayer. And then I want you to turn with me to John 15 as we look at the first five verses this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, to to be in your word, to be reminded of what it means to find our rest and hope in you. Lord, in the midst of the the distractions, the weak, um, the joys and the struggles, Lord, would you help our hearts to settle in this moment, to be present in this moment, to hear your word and what you would have to say to us this morning, Lord, give us the ears to hear, the humility to receive and the courage to trust in you as we walk in obedience, through your strength and your power at work within us. And in Jesus' name, Amen. So, John 15, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says these words I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. you can do nothing. This is God's Word. So let me ask you this. Someone becomes a disciple. Someone today trust in Jesus. And they say, what now? Like, what's the first thing now? How do I grow as a disciple? What would you tell them? It's the same thing that if you were making a, a list, packing for a trip, what's the first thing you're going to put on that list that you don't want to forget? The first resource. What would you tell someone who has just trusted in Jesus? Is it going to be, go to church, read your Bible, pray? We, we can talk about things that do this now. That's where we can begin But where Jesus begins, where He calls us, the first thing that should be on the list when we talk about what it means to become disciples, becoming, is to abide. Abide in Me and I in you. Look at what it says. Even in in verse 3. Think about these words. In in the New Living Translation, it says it like this. You have already been pruned. Already been pruned. Purified by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have already been saved. In the New Living, it says, I mean, sorry, in the um, ESV, it says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide. Here's what I want you to hear. Discipleship is not about achieving something you currently are not okay? Discipleship is not about achieving something you currently are not. Discipleship is about becoming who you are already declared to be. I just want to let that linger for a moment. Think about what that means. You are becoming who you are already declared to be. You have already been pruned. You have already been purified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we believe that discipleship is about becoming something that we currently are not, it means that somehow the gospel of Jesus Christ was insufficient to fully transform us and now we need to add all of these acts of obedience to become something that the gospel did not have the power to produce in us. What discipleship is, is we have already been declared purified. Now we are growing into who we are declared. Who God has already declared us to be. Who He is making us to be. We are growing into that. To abide in Jesus... To remain where we are positioned in him, and he abides in us it 's this twofold aspect of abiding. we abide in him, and he abides in us. See when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were positioned in Christ as his child. like the image that comes to mind is, is this week when, when Eleanor gave birth, she gave birth at our house, and she was with us most of the week and and Emmanuel is holding his newborn daughter, right? You can just imagine a first-time dad looking at his little girl. And, and she's reaching out, and, and with her little hand, she's like grasping the tip of his thumb, and her knuckles are white. And as he's looking at her, he pondered aloud, and he says, I wonder if this is what it's like with God in us. Sometimes we think we're clinging to God with all of our strength. We're white-knuckled, gripping on, and and if our grip slips, we're going to fall. But in reality, a child that can't even lift her head has no power to sit up on her own, no power to stand on her own. Her full weight is resting in her daddy's arms. Abide in me. You are a child of God. To abide is to rest in His loving arms. This is what it means that we are positioned in Him. But He is also in us. Right? He is the King who sits on the throne of our life, who directs our every step, our every purpose. We live and surrender to Him because He abides in us, sitting on the throne of our life. This is what it means to abide. Now, here's the thing. I feel like for many, we can talk about this, and I imagine many of us here, you're familiar with it, right? Like Some are going to be familiar with John 15. You've heard this before, and And there's a danger, again, in being familiar with something, but just because we know something to be true does not mean that we're living in light of that truth, right? Like, I heard a quote this week on on one of the podcasts I was listening to, and it says that a crisis has, it always reveals our heart. Right? A crisis can raise to the surface what's beneath the surface, what we try to hide. A crisis brings that to the top. I want to ask some pointed questions. That's going to be uncomfortable, provocative, but I'm doing it out of love. Think about yourself over the past 18 months, since the global pandemic known as COVID began. In what or in who have you been abiding? In what or in whom has been seated on the throne of your life? Like if someone was listening to your conversations, reading your emails, your text messages, your social media posts, your thoughts, what would they come to believe is the source of your hope? What would they conclude is the chief desire of your life? See, I think for some, it would be safety. I think fear, for some, has consumed faith and physical safety during a global pandemic has become the overwhelming focus of life. Accumulating information, knowledge has given a sense of control in the midst of chaos. And in trying to bring control to that chaos, the chief in that was sitting on the throne of your heart was health and safety, and everything revolved around that. I think for others, what has been exposed is a desire for comfort and your own personal freedom. You found yourself looking at alternative sources of information, to justify placing your own desires, your own personal freedom, your own personal comfort above anything else. And faith became a veneer for arrogance and pride. I think for others, in this season, it exposed a longing for causes. That in the swirling uncertainty that engulfed the globe, we saw people take hold of social issues, of political issues, and fight for them as if life depended upon it. Civilization will rise and fall based on how one narrowly defines this particular issue. And we went to war with one another over these What gripped your heart over the past 18 months? Because we can talk about abiding in Christ in theory. But if we're honest with one another, I've been heartbroken to see as a nation what has been revealed of our hearts. It has not been pretty. And we as the church are called to find our hope and rest in Christ This is what we are called to, we are invited into, to abide in Him and He to abide in us. So how would you answer those questions this morning? What has been revealed? And where is He leading us from this? What does it look like then to abide? Because abiding produces growth like abiding is is, if there was like one word that you were to remember from this entire sermon let it be abiding the heart the soul the root of everything that follows apart from him we can do nothing This is what it says in John 15, 5. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches that are abiding in Him. When we abide in Him and He abides in us, He produces fruit in in and through us. Apart from Him, we can't do anything on our own. And so growth, what it looks like to grow, what it looks like in becoming disciples, what it looks like to grow then as disciples, I would define as this it is increasingly displaying the glory of God through ongoing surrender and obedience. Increasingly displaying God's glory through our ongoing surrender to Him as seated on the throne of our life and walking in obedience to His commands. One of my favorite word pictures of what this looks like and when I say we have already been declared pruned and purified, you are already this and now we are growing into that, is is something I got from my wife Kirsten. I want you to imagine a little girl standing in her daddy's white dress shirt, sleeves rolled up but still reaching down beyond her wrist. The bottom of the shirt that would be tucked in reaches all the way to the ground, dragging on the floor, barely revealing her bare feet. This is the picture I have of what sanctification in discipleship looks like. We are covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. As disciples, we are growing in the reality that is already true. Clothed in His perfect, the perfect righteousness of our Heavenly Father, we grow and we mature to become who He has already declared us to be. This is what it then looks like to grow Pastor and author Robert Thune, I think, illustrates this and describes this so beautifully. It's in his book, The The Gospel-Centered Life, and it's an illustration that many of you may be familiar with. But abiding, faith leads to, and you'll see at that moment of faith, this increasing, these two arrows that begin to expand, the growth, if you will, of a disciple. One is a growing awareness of the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is a growing understanding and knowledge of that. And at the same time, simultaneously, there is this growing understanding then of our own sin, our own depravity, our own brokenness. And as we see the the true holiness of God, we come to understand our own brokenness and the cross looms larger and larger in our life. We display more and more profoundly the beauty and the magnitude of the gospel. We grow into who we are declared to be and our life reflects his glory more and more. But when we look at what it means to, to, to grow, that there's two hindrances. There's two things that I think tempt us, that short changes, and it stops the process of growing. And it can happen so often. The first is we pretend, right? Like rather than repenting of our own sinfulness, rather than acknowledging our brokenness, we pretend to be better than we are. Well, We're not quite that bad because we're no longer comparing ourselves to the holiness of God. We're comparing ourselves to the person sitting next to us. And if I'm not as bad as them, then I'm a little bit better. And we begin pretending and we become play actors on the stage of the church, putting on a performance for all to see projecting to others an impostor, a mask that we are wearing that would say, look how good I am, look how dedicated I am. But meanwhile, my heart is indifferent. I'm simply going through the motions because I want you to perceive me a certain way. And we pretend over and over. But pretending undermines your growth as a disciple. Because what happens is the gospel message only speaks to the imposter that you are projecting to somebody else. It's only speaking to your performance and never to the heart beneath. It's only who you're pretending to be, but never beneath that, to your true, authentic, broken self. I think about what Brennan Manning says in his book, Abba's Child, accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. Judas could not face his shadow, but Peter could. Peter befriended the the imposter within, but Judas raged against him. When we pretend, we project to others what we want them to see of us, and we only allow the gospel to speak to the mask that we wear, rather than when we Say, I see the authentic self beneath that. I see my brokenness. I see the wounds. I see the fear. I see the doubts. And and I need the gospel to speak there. I I need the healing balm of the gospel to mend my heart, not just to build the mask that I'm wearing. We can break through the temptation of pretending when we humbly see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. Tim Keller writes, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted by Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you see this? Like, I'm worse than I am. But at the same time, I'm more loved, I'm more accepted than I could ever imagine. How do we see ourselves? How are you here and you're just pretending? The other way that I think we hinder the process of growth is we perform. See, rather than looking at God's holiness, we begin to look at our own good works. Rather than surrendering to him, we begin to look at ourselves in the mirror and pat ourselves on the back and say, look how good I am. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my faithfulness. I'm awesome. Right? No, performing undermines your growth as a disciple. Because you're no longer staring into his perfect holiness, you're just looking at yourself in a mirror, impressed. Brennan Manning in the same book says, "While the imposter projection the you want others to see you as, while that imposter will want to draw identity from achievements and the adulation of others but the true self your true authentic self will claim identity in its belovedness to God we encounter God in the ordinaries of life not in the search for spiritual highs or extraordinary mystical experiences but in the simple presence of life I think there's a real danger within Christianity that we want to present something to others that's different than what's really on the inside. And the gospel transformation impacts how we behave, but it doesn't transform our heart. When we look at what it means to grow... It is an awareness, and I think where it needs to begin, because what happens is when you see when we pretend and we perform, we're we're not increasingly displaying God's glory, we're increasingly focusing on ourselves. But when we increasingly focus on God, if you feel like, man, I'm stuck, I feel like I'm wearing this mask, I feel like I'm playing the game, where do I begin? How do we break free from that. And I've been thinking about that this week because one of the dangers is, and what I want to say don't do, is don't navel gaze. Okay, what I mean by that is there's a temptation in, in wanting to be spiritual and saying, I want to have this increasing awareness of my own sinfulness, right? We just look at ourselves and we speak condemnation. We find every fault and failure and we just want to beat ourselves with it and say that that's spiritual. That leads to condemnation, not transformation. Where we begin, if you feel stuck as a disciple, where we begin is the holiness of God, a growing awareness of who God is in his holiness to study it, to meditate on it, allow the blinding light of the perfect holiness of Jesus to to expose every shadow, every mask to shine through, to expose who we really are, both our sinfulness and his extraordinary overflowing love for us. This is what seeing the holiness of God does. And it's So needed. I heard a podcast this week, and it was talking to a pastor who gave himself over to sin. And they are like, when did you stop loving Jesus? And the pastor said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped fearing God. It's an interesting reality to me. I believe we need an increasing awareness and understanding of the holiness of God. And if you're wondering where do I begin, one book that, that I'm presently reading because this just sparked all sorts of thinking in my mind this week, the "Holiness of God" by R.C. Sproul. If you look at the uh, sermon notes online, you're going to see a link to this book. Here's a quote from it: "Not only does God penetrate every aspect of our lives, but He penetrates it in His majestic holiness." Therefore, we must seek to understand what the holy is. We dare not seek to avoid it. There can be no worship, no spiritual growth, no true obedience without it. It defines our goals as Christians. Think about this growing awareness, understanding the holiness of God is going to be central to what it means to become disciples. If a disciple is someone who worships Jesus, how can we worship Him if we do not fear Him? If we do not understand His holiness and and magnificence? How are we going to live in ongoing surrender if it is not seen that He sits on the throne of our life as the righteous King? Perfect and holy. How will we respond in obedience so that it's not just to make ourselves look better, but because it is surrendered to a perfect and holy God? As we abide, it is an invitation to meditate and think on the holiness of God. And this will produce in us fruit. In becoming disciples, we abide, we grow, and this produces fruit in our life as we abide. In John fifteen five, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That if you abide in me and he abides in us, then we will bear fruit. We can't do anything on our own newborn infant in the arms of our father and it is his work abiding in us as we abide in him that is at work growing us transforming us and producing fruit fruitfulness as a disciple is the fragrance produced in our lives as we abide in jesus this is how i would i think of fruitfulness now here's the story that came to mind And I had to confirm this with my mom yesterday. When I was eight years old, I was instructed, like every good parent would do, don't play with fire. Being the eight-year-old that I was and being friends with my neighbor, we went behind his shed and built a fire, and we were playing with it. We're poking at it. We're going somewhere. And so I hear my mom calling me, she calls me to the car and I go running, I'm getting ready to get in the car and my mom stops me and she looks at me and she's asking, she's like, were you playing with fire? Nope, not playing with fire. That'd be bad. You told me not to, right? And, and, and then it was the stare, right? Like, look me in the eyes, were you playing with fire? Now at this point I realized if I said yes, I was going to die. So I'm like, No! not playing with fire definitely not playing with fire my mom marched me inside like grabbed my arm marched me inside stood me in front of the mirror she says son you smell like smoke and look at your face and i had ash and soot on my hands on my face i mean i was a mess i had no idea what i looked like but it was, and at that point i don't even remember what i said i think like the fear of god literally set on me and i just died then and there but I don't remember what happened after that. Um, So that's been blanked out. (laughs) I was talking to my mom yesterday because I was like, how old was I? And she's like, you were eight. She's like, no, eight's too young. She's like, maybe you were older, but she's like, no, it was you. You were probably eight. That's exactly what she said. The same thing is true as disciples. Here's what I mean. As we abide in Jesus... Our life will take on the fragrance and evidence of God on our lives. That's what happens. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, We are the aroma of God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We have the fragrance of Christ. And to those who are perishing, that fragrance smells like death. And to those who are being saved, the fragrance of Christ smells like life to life. Abiding produces the aroma of Christ on our life. See, I can't stand up here and be like, make myself smell like smoke and put ash and soot on my face. Right? Like, I can't just make that happen. That happened because I was messing with fire. In the same way, I can't stand here and be like, smell like Jesus. Smell like Jesus. Be transformed to be like Jesus. Do these things and I'll have the aroma of Christ. No. As we abide in Him. As we are resting in Him. As He is seated on the throne of our lives. Our life will exude the fragrance of Christ. His fruit will be produced in us. And through us as we abide. Abiding produces growth, abiding produces fruitfulness. And so, this is the call, this is the invitation this morning. When we look at what it means of becoming disciples, it is founded on this word to abide in Christ. Where we begin, we rest. In what or whom are you placing your hope this morning? In what or in whom is seated on the throne of your heart? May we as a church family, as the first priority as becoming disciples, abide in Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this amazing truth that we have already been pruned and purified by the truth and power of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your work at work within us. Lord, give us the courage to abide May the light of your glory and holiness expose where we are looking for hope in anything other than you. Be it in our own health, or be it in our own freedoms, or be it in whatever external cause, Lord, would you point our hearts to Christ? May this be the passion that drives us, Lord. May this be the source of all of our hope and desire. Lord, thank You for the the promise that You abide in us. Lord, it is Your work in us, Your joy in us that fills us to overflowing. Thank You for being a heavenly Father who holds us as His child, securely in Your arms, never letting us go. Lord, that it's not by our strength that we cling to you, but by your faithfulness that holds us. And so we say thank you. All glory and praise to your name. And in Jesus' name, amen.